Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that this morning we would be able to unite our hearts together in prayer and that our single request would be that we may worship you in our songs, in the special music, in the preaching, in the offering. And Lord, as so many times, we, I pray very carefully for our time of invitation at the end of the preaching. Lord, everything that we do here today needs to be done in a way that will bring glory to your name. And Lord, we know for that to happen, you've got to change us. And Lord, I just pray that in the preaching it would be clear and simple. And Lord, that we'd be able to grab a hold of the Word of God and let it change us. Let, us, let the Word of God modify our behavior and our life decisions. That we may live a life that will be in worship to your holy name. To bring glory to who you are. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, the fact that this is your plan, that you want to use us to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next songs. So on the throne, he has not changed his direction. Got a lot of people living in fear today because of the outcome of the election. Uh, I saw one headline that uh, already the uh, alphabet people, I guess that's what I like to call them, LGB, they, they keep adding letters all the time. It just kind of gets me concerned there. It, it says they, they had a thing, uh, we're, we're under attack because Mr. Pence is in charge of the uh, transition committee. And uh, I'm sitting there going, he hasn't done anything yet. And, and already... And the headlines, if you, if you allow your life to be judged by the headlines, uh, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, these are, are dangerous times in which we live. Uh, if you were not here for Thursday night, uh, we just went over, what are you going to do now that the election is over? Number one, you're going to pray. And number two, you're going to be faithful in church because that's God's plan. Amen. And uh, we're just going to keep being faithful till Jesus comes. And uh, I want to spend a, a, a little bit of time this morning. I want to make our main topic here is the return of Jesus Christ. We, we believe in some things. Uh, we, our church is about doctrine. We're, we're not about social things. We're not about... Uh, uh, this is not a community center. Uh, this is the church of Jesus Christ. And, and we believe some things. We believe that God has preserved His Word. We believe He's preserved it in the English language in this old King James Bible. And the thing that we believe that makes us very scary to some people is we believe that this book is authoritative. That means when the Bible says something, we can trust it. And if there's something, if there's a difference between what says here and what goes on here, I'm the one that needs to be changed, not the Bible. Amen? And uh, we, we want to ask God to change us. That is, in essence, what real worship is all about. Is worship is the surrender 
of our understanding and our attitudes and our life decisions to Jesus Christ, the living Word, who has made Himself known to us in the written Word. And I could spend the whole sermon on that, but that's just one point. Uh, We believe that salvation is available to all. For God so loved the world. We're we're not Calvinistic here. Uh, We don't believe that God only saves a few, nor are we the other extreme, the Arminians, that everybody gets saved. Because this Bible tells us that sin is real. And if you die in your sin, you're separated eternally from God. But that's why salvation is a work of God. It's not what you do. How many of you remember being in a church where you were trying to do enough good to be pleased with God and earn your way to heaven? Not a very pleasant place to be now, is it? But when you surrender to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, He does all the saving. You know, I've had many people ask the question over the years, well, after I'm saved, I still sin. What's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. Before you were saved, what did you do when you sinned? I didn't do the best I can. After you're saved, what do you do with my sin? your sin? I bring it to the cross. And He takes it away. You see, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because it was finished on the cross. Amen? Amen. Salvation is God's work, available to all who will simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that sets the Baptist church apart from all other religions, even the ones that call themselves Christians, is we believe in the priesthood of the believer. We believe that each believer has a direct responsibility and relationship to God. And then as we live out that relationship, it brings us to the local, visible assembly of baptized believers. I might say biblically baptized believers. Why do you have to qualify things? Because everybody wants their own definition. If it's not Bible baptism, then it's not baptism. It's got to be done the Bible way. And it's that simple. It won't get you to heaven. Somebody said, what would Jesus do? Built a, wrote a book, the whole thing. I'll tell you, the only thing that Jesus did that you and I would ever have any hope of doing is go find a Baptist preacher and get baptized. Because you can't open blind eyes. You can't raise the dead. You're not coming again. But I'll tell you what you can do. Do what Jesus did. Go find a Baptist preacher and get baptized. Amen. John the Baptist. And one of the most fantastic things that we believe. And by fantastic, I just simply mean it's beyond the ability of man to reason. Is Jesus says he's coming again. And, and I want us to take a few minutes. Now, we spent the whole Sunday school time, and I really didn't 
planned this, our Sunday school time, or through the Bible time we call it, we're just going through the Bible, story by story, section by section. We dealt with several stories this morning, but uh, we looked at Jacob's life, and, and what a miserable life, and how much struggle that he lived, because he just refused to trust in God. Our theme for this year, the just shall live by his faith. It's got to be personal. It's got to be yours. And if you need faith, where does it come from? Faith cometh by and hearing by. You see, I believe that Jesus is coming back. That's why I was prepared whichever way the election went. I didn't have to worry. But I'm glad it turned out the way it did. The IRS cannot take away my tax exemption because I'm not endorsing a candidate. He already won. And somebody says, why are you so against Hillary? I'm not against Hillary. I'm against what she stands for. I'm against abortion on demand. I'm against the promotion of the homosexual agenda. I'm against the use of the public schools for brainwashing our children into thinking they came from monkeys and denying the existence of God. Is Donald Trump going to solve any of those problems? Absolutely not. But we do have the hope they're not going to get any worse. But you see, my hope has never been in the White House. I'm old enough to remember Ronald Reagan's presidency. I'll tell you, those were some good days. But I'm not one of those ones that's pining away for the return of Ronald Reagan because I want my heart to be focused on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? Christmas is coming. That is the celebration of the first advent or the first coming of Jesus. And what happened when Jesus came the first time? Herod got upset and murdered a bunch of babies in Bethlehem. All Jerusalem was troubled with him. Nobody understood. When Jesus comes the second time, it's not going to be any different. Because this world is not looking for Jesus to come. In fact, this world, they think they're going to solve all their own problems. And look at what a wonderful job they've done. You, I, I've had people, don't, don't, you, don't you believe in the United Nations? You study the history of the United Nations. The only bloodier organization on the face of this earth is the communist government. They've killed, raped, mutilated, destroyed tens 
of thousands, millions of people over the few short generations of years they've been in existence. Man cannot solve his problems. That's why you need to be saved. Can we say amen to that? But if you're going to be saved, you've got to rest on the promise that Jesus is coming again. A popular talk show host, well, yeah, Sean Hannity, used to begin every radio show with, Let not your heart be troubled. And my, my blood will boil every time. Because the answer is not politics, my friend. If I think about politics, my heart is troubled. But let's start in John chapter 14. Let's start about the promises that Jesus gave his disciples. I was talking with someone a while back and they said, Well, I, I believe the church is going through the tribulation and is going to suffer And the only reason people believe that Jesus is coming back before the tribulation is because they don't believe that they ought to suffer. Well, just a minute. How many of you are familiar with what the tribulation is out of the book of Revelation? A seven-year period, Daniel's 70th week. Between two-thirds and three-quarters of the world's population is going to die in seven years, according to the prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled in the book of Revelation. Now, if I were to stand here and tell you, you're going through that time, but you're going to meet Jesus on the other side. How many of you would believe me when it said, let not your heart be troubled? That would be a contradiction in Scripture that you could not overcome. You know why? Because it's not in the Bible. Read Jesus' promises to the churches. He said, I will keep thee from the hour of tribulation that comes to trouble the whole earth. It says in 1 Thessalonians that He will deliver us from the wrath to come. It tells us in the Bible, and it gives us reasons to believe. When Jesus said this, John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. This was in direct response to Jesus telling Peter, Before the sun comes up tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no way! Until he heard the cock crow that second time, realized that he had fulfilled what Jesus had said to the umpteenth degree, even adding cursing and swearing to his denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled at your failures because you didn't get saved by what you did. You're going to be saved because of what I'm about to do. Today, we're saved because of what Jesus did. And we can put our hearts in the hands of Jesus. And regardless of the outcome of the election, 
we can let our hearts not be troubled. Because I believe in God. And if you're offended at my, public, uh, my political opinions, they're my opinions. But I'm not going to apologize for being against what the Bible says we ought to be against. Because this book is true. And Jesus tells me in the very same place, in the very same book, that we can trust Him and not have a troubled heart. Now that's the promise of His coming. He's going to come and He's going to get me. Why? Because I'm a preacher? No. Look at Acts chapter 1. Let's turn there for just a moment. We're not going to take time to go through all the proof text and everything this morning because what we want to understand is this, this truth that Jesus is coming again is just like the Bible. It's just like the church. It's just like our salvation. It's like our relationship with God, the priesthood of the believer. It's, it's our doctrines. It's what we believe It gives us something to hide behind and it protects us from all of the storms of doubt and fear that assail us. But in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has just spoken to them. He has restated the Great Commission that is in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 16 and says that we're to be witnesses unto Him in all of the world. And then He ascended into heaven. And we have here verse 11, which also said... Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now, who saw Jesus go into heaven? The disciples. You see, when Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation period, it says, every eye shall behold him. Were there news reports all through the city of Jerusalem? What was that light in the sky? We we have no idea. It was a UFO. No, nobody saw Jesus ascend into heaven except the apostles. And no one's going to see him return again except those which believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that. That's promised to us in other parts. He gave that promise. Before his death, burial, and resurrection, the angels tell the disciples again, in like manner as ye have seen him go. He's coming back. It's going to be private in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Someone measured that. The twinkling of an eye is the amount of time it takes light to reflect off the cornea of your eye. By the way, light is traveling at 186,000 miles per second per second. So that's fast. Amen? And Jesus is coming back. We have His promises. There are some warnings in the Scripture 
that are associated with this promise as Jesus was teaching here. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12 as we just moved through the scriptures. And, and uh, this morning what we're going to be doing is we're taking a topic, the Lord's coming, and we're looking at uh, some of the verses, certainly not all of them. Uh, if, if we were to look at every verse that mentions the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we would have... Uh, so much material that we could be from here to every Sunday till Christmas and, and just be getting a good start on this thing. But in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is giving uh, a story here. He gives a warning in verse 40. Be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household and to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth, I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Now this was Jesus' warning. He said there is going to be a judgment meted out individually based on individual deeds. And I, I remember as a young person growing up in church and um, preachers would preach about the second coming of the Lord. And, and boy, you'd just be sitting there shaking in your seat, uh, scared of living daylights out of me. And uh, maybe that was a good thing. Maybe it wasn't. But the Bible says we're supposed to be comforted in that thought, not scared out of our wits. And so I want, there's some things in the Bible that ought to scare you out of your wits. A sermon on hell ought to leave you shaking. Because it's a real place. But when we talk about the Lord's coming, we better be careful. Because see, that attitude of that servant that said, my Lord delayeth his coming. It says he's going to appoint him a portion with the unbelievers. That's because he is an unbeliever and always was an unbeliever. He was just acting the part of a servant. You say, where where do you get the biblical basis for that? Well, Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus say? There's going to be many that say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I shall say unto them, depart from me. Ye that work iniquity, what's the next phrase in there? I never knew thee. See, if there's anything about faith that we need to get 
this year. It's that little word called His. Amen? You shouldn't be scared to death thinking about the Lord's coming. Only if you're unprepared. Only if you're unsaved. Only if you're not ready. And and by the way, the bar is so very low to become a Christian. I've had people, I can't walk that narrow way. I could never do all those things. Wait a minute, how did you get saved? Well, I surrendered and I quit trying and Jesus saved me. How do you live? Well, try the same way you got saved. You see, I've heard preachers preach a sermon on salvation. I I wish I was a Pentecostal, could lose it, just so I could get saved again. Uh, They made it sound so wonderful. And, And then I realized, wait a minute, something's wrong here. You know, that joy that you had when you get saved, you could have every day. If you'll just surrender again to live this day for the Lord. And that's what this parable is all about. We don't know when Jesus is coming. Paul thought it was in his lifetime. John thought it was in his lifetime. That was a long time ago. In fact, I met a guy one time. I don't know, Mariana, if you'll remember this. It was in the old building. But he came in. And he was arguing during the church service. And I said, now listen, if you keep talking while I'm preaching, you're going to have to leave. And, um, and we were dealing with the Lord's coming. And I, talked about it. I said, there's some people that think John, the beloved disciple, is living in a cave over there and somewhere. And he's still alive. How ridiculous that is. That's what John said about it. And he, oh, oh he's still alive. I said, oh, come on. I later found out that false doctrine wasn't the only thing he was on. Um, Maybe we could just leave it there. And uh, listen, Jesus said, you be faithful. You be watching. I hope and pray that's why you're here at church this morning. It's because the Bible says so. That's the reason that we ought to come back tonight. That's the reason that we need to pray. That's the reason that we need to to just serve the Lord. Second Peter tells us the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, the day of the Lord is a time period. Everybody gets so excited. A thousand years is it's a day. And they try to mix evolution with creation. Wrong, 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 wrong. You can't get four and a half billion years out of uh, six days, no matter how many thousands you put in there. It doesn't work that way. But the day of the Lord starts with the rapture of the church, seven-year tribulation, thousand-year rule and reign, ends with the great white throne judgment at the beginning of eternity future. thousand and seven years is the day of the Lord. So truly, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. But the Bible says it's going to catch the world at unawares. 
Nobody is going to know. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. These were the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. But how many of you remember the billboards on the New Jersey Turnpike? The world ends May 21st. Does anybody remember those things? How many of you knew that the same man had written a book called 1994? The world is going to end. I remember when my wife and I were about to get married, a preacher had written a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. And of course... Everybody we knew was joking. Jesus is coming back in September. Uh, You're not even going to have a full month to be married. That was 28 years and 12 kids ago. I'm glad we made the decision just to be faithful to the Lord and keep serving Him a day at a time. Amen? The same guy wrote the sequel. 89 reasons why Jesus will return in 89. Then he gave up. Why can't you just believe what the Bible says? We have no idea when Jesus is coming back. Could be today. Could be a thousand years from today. Somebody said, the world's going to end. No, not for at least a thousand and seven years. Not going to end. Because the tribulation period has to happen. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Then comes the new heaven and the new earth. You see, these are the promises of God. And I'm not going to let my heart be troubled over all the things that are going on today. You see, let's go to Titus chapter 2. You got 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. If you got into Philemon or Hebrews, you went too far. Titus chapter 2, and I want us to read these verses today. Verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking For that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Here's what the Bible teaches us. That no living person has an excuse to miss heaven. But our job is to take that message into the world in which we live. And our motivation is looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you would be ready if Jesus came today? Or how many of you have a list of things that you'd like to get done before Jesus comes? Let me tell you. 
faith is trusting Jesus with the time of His return. Amen? It's being ready if He should come today. But living because we don't know when. And we serve Him faithfully day by day. It gives us what we can call an expectancy to life. How many people are just totally heartbroken and they're crying? In fact, they told me, I heard on the news that Stanford University canceled all classes on Wednesday, the day after the election called in grief counselors and ordered pizza for the students so that they could help them deal with their lack of of ability to deal with reality. Now, I find that rather humorous on certain part. But my son pointed out, you need to be worried about that because those are going to be the people running the country in ten years. That's a terrifying thought. You know why people are so upset? Is because the things that they base their life on are now called into question. You know why I can't be upset? Because no matter who, if they elected Vladimir Putin and put us all in jail tomorrow, they cannot hurt the things that my life is based on. They can't take him away. Oh, wasn't it Voltaire that said, in my lifetime, they'll throw away the Bibles and they'll all be reading my books. Now that Peter's not around, has anybody ever read Voltaire? Does anybody even know who I'm talking about? He is a French philosopher. You do because I preached about it. Uh, He's he's a French philosopher that lived during the time of the revolution, our American revolution, uh, uh, and the French revolution. And he believed that he would uh, change the entire world through his philosophy. Now nobody even knows how to spell his name. But we still got Bibles. You see, I'm not worried because I got a blessed hope. You see, Jesus gave me a Bible And he said he's coming back. And so I'm waiting for him to come back. How about you? And I'm not scared. I don't like those Thief in the Night movies and certainly the Left Behind series. Uh, If you like entertainment, eh, it might be good entertainment. I don't know. I couldn't stomach watching them because they're so far removed from the Bible. There's just nothing there when it comes to the Scripture. Because if they really put the Scripture in the movies, nobody would watch it. How do you put the death of five billion people in less than seven years in a movie and have somebody other than heavy metal, death metal people watch it? Uh, You can't do it. So it's a lot of entertainment, but it's not Bible. 
We don't need to be scared to death. It's our blessed hope. See, that's one of the lies that the devil loves to tell. To take away from you the very special things that God has promised us in His Word. Amen? If you're in Titus chapter 2 still, turn over just through the book of Hebrews. And you'll get to James and 1st, 2nd Peter. Get to 1st John chapter 3, if you would. 1st John chapter 3. Just a few verses and we'll try to close out this morning here. But verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You know, there's a reason not to join the world, my friend. There's a reason not to do things their way. Because Jesus is coming back. I remember in Bible college, over 30 years ago, had a guy there and says, I'm I'm quit, I'm through this place. Jesus is coming back and I'm going to get out there and do something. Praise God, there was a very wise professor there that said, "Did, did the Lord send you to Bible college? Well, then maybe you ought to finish. Because I'll tell you, he was a professor that never had the opportunity to do Bible college on his own. He said, I was 15 years in the ministry still making the same mistakes I'm teaching you not to make now. He said, maybe it'd do you well to finish your course that God has set before you. You see, I don't have to be in a hurry to get things done. I have to be faithful. That's what I have to be. Because I got a hope that one day I'm going to be like Jesus. And what he wants you to do is to get as close as you can. So it's not such a shock when he finally changes you. Does that make sense? Some people are going to be in shock because... They got saved, but they never got the Bible. They never got a lot of things that they needed. And everything is going to change for them. You don't have to be like that. You can understand your Bible and understand how to live for God. And let's go two passages and then we'll be done. The two main passages people go to. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just a few verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in each passage, of course, it says, Behold, verse 51, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed 
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's easy to get tired, it's easy to get weary. But if you'll remember, Jesus is coming back. It'll give you the strength to keep pushing. Because it's not about you. It's about Him. Amen? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I promise you, we'll be done after this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13. But I would have not have you to be ignorant, brethren... Concerning them which are asleep or dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I, I praise the Lord. I have not preached a lot of funeral sermons. But I'll tell you, I don't know a funeral that I've had anything to do with. Someone who knew the Lord that I haven't used these words. You see, the greatest enemy we fight is death. We just read the passage in 1 Corinthians that Jesus is the victor over death. That's what the resurrection is all about. If Jesus does not come back, each one of us in this room will have to walk through that valley of the shadow. You know why it's called the valley of the shadow of death? Because it's only a passing fancy. It's a passing curtain that we must walk through to get to glory to be with Jesus. Now, if you're unsaved, it's not a shadow. It's eternal. But if you're saved today, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, we can be comforted even as we stand beside the grave of a loved one. Because we're going to meet together in the air. 
with the Lord Jesus. It's not goodbye. It's until we meet again. See, there is nothing that you will face in this life that a proper understanding of Jesus' imminent return can't give you joy, can't give you strength to overcome. You cannot read your New Testament and not know about Jesus' promises to return. Of His warnings that we need to behave and we need to live for Him and we need to stay faithful. And and we've only scratched the surface this morning of this incredible doctrine that is outlined in, in the Bible. But it motivates me because He is my blessed hope. He is the hope that makes me want to keep living for Jesus even when all the it seems like all the world around us has just gone crazy in their desire to sin and sin worse and worse and worse. I've often said it, if you really want to be a radical, live for Jesus. Even the crazy people will say you're crazy. And you can look at them and really freak them out and say, thank you very much. What a compliment. You see, I don't know when he's coming back, but he's already conquered death. And he gives me comfort in no matter what area I stand in. Oh, that Jesus would come back today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But if he doesn't, I have another day left to serve Him. And what could be more joyful than that? And I don't even need possibility thinking to deal with all the negative stuff. Because all that negative stuff just drives me back to this book where I can learn more about Jesus and all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You today. We thank and praise you for the promises, the, the truths that are in this book called the Bible. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to live in them. It is so easy to get weighed down by the cares of this life. By things that we know we need to be doing, there's just too much. But Lord, let us take our eyes off the schedules and take our eyes off all the circumstance and put them on Jesus. And Lord, let us prepare for your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Andrew, if you come and lead us in the hymn of invitation. The altar's open if you need to come and pray. Talk to the Lord about those burdens on your heart. If you're here today and you're not sure about your own salvation, would you let us take the Bible and show you how you could know your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home?